Matthew chapter 5 is where we have been, and we don't want to get bogged down in that verse, those two verses, verses 31 and 32, but they are verses of much controversy in history and in society and in families and personal lives. The subject of divorce or adultery and especially remarriage is a real controversial, difficult subject. I don't enjoy teaching on it. I count it a privilege to teach on it, but I don't relish the idea of having to go over this because there's so many different views. I mean, you don't have to read a whole lot of other material that books that people write or get into the world of Google. And you realize that there are volumes of opinions about this subject that we're on. You could spend months just talking about something until when you got through with it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't remember a third of what you heard. And therefore, it wouldn't change your life or affect your ability to help other people in bad situations with their marriage and so forth. But Jesus said, verse 31, it hath been said. Now, he is referring to something they all had heard before, which we'll get to next. It's Deuteronomy 24. He said, it has been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But... I say unto you. Now, do you suppose he has something different than that to say? And this is why a lot of people get upset. I guess I know as much about what I'm talking about tonight as, well, I know enough about it. That people really don't like to hear anything preached that is different than what they really want to do. Even though what they're going to do is wrong. They just don't want to hear it. But it's ours to read, it's ours to hear, and it's ours to speak about, it's ours to share with others. But I say to you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Now again, we've, we've said a few things about it. I'm going to try to wrap this up tonight, though we will by no means answer all the questions. All the questions that people will have. Because this is the one, one of those subjects in the Bible where in a debate or a discussion, you go from what the Scripture says to what people think. And they'll often say, well, I don't think it's fair, don't you think? Well, it seems to me that if God said that, then He would have probably meant this. And a lot of people make lifelong decisions. Well, sometimes with eternal consequences on what they think or what somebody else thought. And they make the wrong decision, but you can't tell them that they're wrong because their opinion is as good as your opinion. And that's true. There's no market for opinions. They're all pretty cheap. But when it comes to the Word of God, we have to satisfy ourselves with the fact that if God said it this way, this is the way it must be, and this is the way we must live and order our lives by it. No matter what the pain is, the cost, no matter what mistakes we've made in the other life before we came to Christ and now have to begin undoing it, we have to do that. That's what a disciple is. He's a follower of Christ, not a hearer of Christ, but a doer. Now, last time we said three things about the subject. One, 
which said that marriage is permanent. In the beginning, God made them male and female, brought them together, and they became as one. And this permanency of marriage meant that when God made man and woman together, he said, let not man put asunder in Matthew 19. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. One of the many arguments that people use to justify a remarriage is that, well, God didn't put us together. We did that. And there's no end to the arguments that you get. And I found this as a preacher. One, very, very few preachers I've ever known will deal with this subject. Or if there was somebody in a church in their congregation whose marriage was not right, they wouldn't deal with it. They wouldn't say a thing about it because they don't want to hurt feelings. Because if you hurt one person's feelings, you hurt their friend's feelings. And the family gets involved. The word in the community is that you're... And then there's an endless bunch of words that are used to describe you. I have found that if you open the door for one person's marriage to be all right, but not the other person beside them, then you lose members, misunderstood. I have found the safest position to hold is that what God said is what is right. If he said it this way, that's the way it is. If he said from the beginning it was not so, then when he started it, he didn't make any allowances for anything other than a permanent marriage. Now, do what you want to with that. Secondly, you know, the Bible said a woman who is bound, a woman is by law bound to her husband so long as her husband lives. Remember that in Romans 7? But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law and she's free to marry another only in the Lord. So it's, it's a permanent situation. God intended for it to be that way. And for you young people that, that uh, one day uh, marriage is going to be presented to you, it, it might. And if it is, just remember, it's the biggest decision, short of being born again, it's the biggest decision you'll ever make. You really don't know what you're doing when you're marrying as far as knowing everything about who you're marrying. You really have to trust God. And if you can't, or if you won't, then chances are you won't work your way through the obvious difficulties that all married couples face. It isn't easy being married. It isn't easy being happily married. It isn't easy being successfully married. You've got two people from two different families, probably two different backgrounds, coming together with the idea of cleaving, being glued together, of becoming one, and loving each other like a man loving his wife like Christ loved the church, which is the picture that God gives of what marriage is. It's like... Us and him. And how he treats us is the way a man ought to treat his wife. And we fall so far short of that without conviction, without any guilt. And that's the reason a lot of unhappy marriages exist in the church. It's because we have largely ignored the command the Bible gives on our role in marriage. Women don't want to know that she's to be a keeper at home, for example. They don't want to know that. Because she's busy and whatever else you want to, you know, call it. So we have a lot of things that God says about marriage in the Bible that the people that are married really don't want to hear it that way. When it comes to a marriage that's breaking up and falling apart, they really don't like to hear some of these things. Like, secondly, God hates divorce. Malachi 2, we looked at that last week. God hates divorce. And yet, 
Even though God hates it, he uses the word treacherously five times in Malachi 2, which means to be a traitor. And you wonder if it's a traitor to your wife or your husband or a traitor to God. You gave him your word. You took an oath. You took a vow. A vow is a solemn commitment that you yourself take with full knowledge that God holds you to it. I don't care what anybody says. That's what a vow is. And marriage is a covenant that is entered into by two people by mutual consent with a vow. Before God and these witnesses, they often say at weddings. And anything that would terminate what God has authorized to be, God hates it. Just like those who in a church cause discord. Cause people to, you know, gossip and talk in a church that splits. One of the things in Proverbs 6 that God hates is he that soweth discord. Because the church is precious to God just like marriage is. And anything that would separate that, divide that, or sever that, break that bond, God hates it. And yet, though they've been taught, though we've been taught and heard it many times in many years in our lives, Christians do it without thinking. They just do it. They cannot leave it alone. They have to talk about it, and they add to the fire that's already burning, and, and trouble comes. And third thing I mentioned last week is that the Bible teaches reconciliation. The Bible teaches reconciliation. One of the big words in Christianity is forgiveness, to forgive. And in a marriage in which divorce is looming, is coming to the surface, and they're beginning to talk about it. Her love for him has grown cold, like a story I heard recently. One morning she woke up and she just realized she didn't love him anymore. I don't know what kind of dream she must have had or what she'd been eating or what kind of exercise program she was on. But you don't, as a Christian, you never wake up one morning and say, well, I don't love you anymore. That's not the way it works. And you that are young and not yet married, understand this, that when you get married, it's a, it's a romantic encounter. You've been looking forward to it. But that doesn't continue on like that. He doesn't get up every day and, and act like he's courting you and dating. After a while, you get into the routine of living together, of becoming one, of maturing together spiritually, and learning to think alike and listen to each other and talk to each other. And issues that you have, you talk, you work them out, you communicate. And when you do that, you don't give place to the devil. He doesn't get a chance to come into your marriage. But if you don't do that, and a marriage begins to break up and fall apart, and divorce is looking people straight in the eye. One of those things that God hates, despises, they begin talking about it. He realizes he has no feelings for her. She realizes she has no feelings for him. The smile gives way to a frown or a scorn. An unkind word gives way to tender words. And you're looking at divorce. And then one day she files whatever they do today, or he does, and they begin to terminate the marriage. Now, let's assume that down the road, one of these two people that are unhappily married gets saved. Or gets the light if they are church members. Let's say that they really see what God is saying. Not all men do. Jesus said that. 
about this subject. He said, not all men can receive this. But the ones that do, he sees it. He, he realizes that he's dealt treacherously, if it's a man, with his wife. That he's done her wrong. He said wrong things to her. He's hurt her feelings. He didn't care if he did or not. And he said some ugly things to her. Or if it's the other way around, she said things to him that weren't nice and acted very unkind towards a man she once professed that she loved and and said before God and his witnesses, I will stand by you and with you in all things in our life and I will love you. I'll take your name and I'll be your wife and fit in with your plans. And here she is telling the Lord, I ain't going to do that. I ain't doing that. He told her he would love her as Christ loved the church and so forth. And he says, I ain't going to do that. So they're going to divorce. But then one of them gets saved. One of them gets saved. One of them or gets light, turned around, affected by the Lord. And comes back to that mate that they have so hurt. And he says, or she says, I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Now, must we forgive? Forgiveness is not just words. Forgiveness is not just the putting out of your mouth the right words. Look, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Look, I am sorry. Are you? I don't think you are. Nor do you have to get dramatic about it. I'm sorry. So, so. I don't think you have to do that. I just think, I just think that when you are legitimately broken in heart for the tragic, terrible mistakes you have made in your life with whoever, and you see what you have done, and God smites you, or your heart is convicted, and you go to the party that you have offended, and you say, I am dreadfully sorry. I am so sorry. Like the prodigal son, I do not deserve to be called your son. I'm just sorry. Now, must the offended, innocent mate forgive this man or this woman? Then, let me ask you something. How do they forgive them? Do they just say... All right, you're forgiven. Come and meet my new husband or my new wife. Now, wait a minute now. What is the repentance for? What's the I'm sorry because of? How you had a role to play in breaking up a marriage, right? Well, let's say the woman was already married. She said, I'm not going to terminate my vow because you terminated yours. I'm not going to give up on what I told the Lord I would do because you did. I would rather you stay and not leave. But if you want to leave, that's you can leave. But I am going to keep my vow with you. Now, I'm not your servant anymore because you're not here. I can't minister to you as a wife because you've left. But I will keep my oath before the Lord. Is that all right? How many do that? Or he says, I, am, I don't care if she does leave. She left me and all of that, and I wasn't a good husband. I did wrong, but I'm sorry. So I don't know what I can say. I'll cut my arm, go to him, bleed a while. But I am sorry. Now, if she forgives him, how does she forgive him? Do you just say, I'm, I'm sorry? Or have you kept the door open for reconciliation to be restored? 
Remember 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10 and 11? 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, he said this, And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. That makes it what the Lord says here. Let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her find a better man. One who loves her carefully and fulfills his tenderness toward her. For that would be good in the sight of God. That's the unspoken of social version in this liberal society that we're in. But it says, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. As I said last week, then we'll get started. No matter how you want to interpret what you believe about this, you can't violate that. Are you with me? You can't make another verse say something different from this. That would be a contradiction. Are you with me? I think one of, it's, I don't know what you call it a rule, but one of the stands that all of us must take is that in, in interpreting Scripture, in defining what it means and in its context and rightly dividing it, you can't choose what verse you want to make say what you want to say at the expense of another verse. If one verse in the Bible says a woman is bound to her husband as long as the law lives, you can't make it say something else somewhere else. And if it says if she is from, he said, not I but the Lord, if she is separated or if, if she is divorced then let her remain unmarried. It has to mean that. Are you with me? That's not an option. That is not an option. That's not something you can pick if you so choose, if it fits into your program. It doesn't say that. Now, you have to set yourself in agreement with the Lord, whoever we are. I don't have the I grew up in a divorced home. The only reason my dad came back and was remarried, which is what remarried means. It means marry again the same one. Amen. It's like refinishing furniture. You don't finish another furniture, you refinish the one you had. It's refinish. <laughs> if you restore a car, you don't store somebody else's car, you restore yours. Amen. So if you remarry, it means if you've gotten away from the one you started with, the wife of your youth in Malachi 2, then you restored remarried to the original rightful mate. That's what, re, that's what remarriage means. I just throw that in. But a lot of people uh, treat this subject terribly. And they don't like the idea because of the emotion and the feelings. I don't want to go back to her. Well, then stay as you are. The Bible does not command you to remarry, nor does it give you the luxury of marrying again at the expense of your original mate. Now, people do it all the time. They're not going to listen to anything else. I know that. I might have been born at night down in Columbia, Kentucky years ago, but I wasn't born last night. I know what people think. And uh, I know that it's a very difficult subject for a lot of people. When divorce is in your family, one of your kids, it makes you think long and strong about it. But I don't care who you are. You have to come back. And stand with God in whatever position God holds you to, that's the stand you take. At the expense of being misunderstood, 
talked about or even shunned. You have to do it God's way. That's the way it works. But I do believe that reconciliation involves forgiveness. And forgiveness, restoration. My dad, as I said, he came back to my mom because of his Catholic faith. The Catholics are real strong on, on this. And the only reason I had a daddy at the later part of my, well, my pre-teens areas, when I got into those years of my life, I did have a dad again. My original biological dad. I didn't have another one. I had the original. And uh, I thank God for, even though my parents weren't the two most happy and loving people in the world, I had two of them. And uh, his religion, whatever my dad believed, he believed that. And I did get to grow up and, and live in a home at, before I left it with two parents. Because I remember when my dad was gone and I was with my mom without choice. Because I wanted to go with my dad. And I remember as a young boy not being able to do that. And I once confessed that I hate my mother. I hate her because I saw her as the, as the villain. She might have been the victim. I don't know. That part of my life is not as clear as other parts are. But it wasn't long after I got saved, the Lord convicted me by a prophetic word from a lady I'd never met in my life. And told me that I had unforgiveness towards my mom. And if I wanted to walk with the Lord, I'd have to go home and forgive her. And uh, I did that. And, and, you know, barriers broke down. I didn't change. You know, my dad was already gone in. But, I mean, it it was, uh, no, he wasn't gone yet either. But uh, it just broke down a lot of barriers in my life. I know what it's like to live in a home when two people aren't, don't speak kindly to each other. I know what it's like when a man is not happy with a woman. And when he gets in a car and he goes somewhere, he talks about, you know, your mother. When he's not around, oh, your dad. I know what that's like. And I know that in a home where there is divorce, there is difficulty with children. They may not act like it. They don't want to talk about it either. They just don't want to discuss it. And I don't blame them. I don't bring it up myself. But I do know this, that whatever I believe, it's got to be in agreement with the Lord. No matter how painful it is and what you're required to say to some people, you've got to be in agreement with the Lord over it. It has to be like that. Now, would you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24 tonight? Because Jesus started, verse 31, by saying, It hath been said. Now, this takes us back to Deuteronomy 24, where this is where what he was referring to is said. And we'll look just a moment at Matthew chapter 19. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. Now, in the minds of many Jews, this was the proof text they used for divorcing their wives and marrying somebody else or getting, getting a new wife. And it became a sham. I mean, it was a real shambles here, what, what they did. Notice, let's read it. When a man had taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that he find, that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, give it in her hand, and send her out of the house. And notice, she has no say in the matter. And when she is departed out of that house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, 
find no favor in her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it in her hand, and sendeth her out of the house. Or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after that she is defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance." Now, the key word here for a lot of people was uncleanness. And the translation of what uncleanness meant was the reason that a lot of men gave for getting rid of a wife. The word uncleanness here, as it's used in verses 1 through 24, it's used 54 times. The Hebrew word for uncleanness is used 54 times in the Old Testament. 51 times is translated nakedness. So it would have something to do with immorality in some way, in some degree. Let me show you how the word shame, it's also translated once with the word shame. And I want you to turn over in uh, Isaiah chapter 20, Isaiah 20 and verse 4. The Israelites had to escape the Assyrian, the northern tribe, to escape the Syrian hordes that were going to come in and capture them and make them slaves, they figured they would flee to Egypt and they would be safe there. And here's what God says in verse 4, Isaiah 20 and verse 4. So shall the king of Syria, Assyria lead away the Egyptian prisoners and the Ethiopian captives, young and old, naked and barefoot, even with their buttocks uncovered to the shame of of Egypt. Now, we wouldn't think much of that because if you go to a typical beach in America, um, I'm trying really hard to do this in a, in a way that's not offensive to everybody. I know you might offend anybody by saying some things, but uh, the exposure of one's bodily parts for the purpose of looking and gawking and lusting was a thing called shame. It was a way of defining uncleanness in the Bible. It was an uncleanness. If you go back to Deuteronomy uh, 23 and verse 14, let me just show this to you. Now, again, I'll be careful with how we say this, but I'm going to say what the Bible says. Uh, speaking of the word uncleanness, nakedness, as it's usually defined nakedness. And it has to do with immorality or nastiness. Well, let's look at this. Deuteronomy 23, verse 14. For the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp to deliver thee and to give up thine enemies before thee. Therefore, because God is present with you, therefore shall thy camp be holy that he see no unclean thing in thee and turn away from thee. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that God walking through the, uh, through the camp said he did not want to see any unclean thing before him. And, and there's a place, and I, I'm trying to find out where it is. I've read so many of them uh, today where God said that when you go out and I, I don't know exactly the biblical words, but when you go out to use the bathroom, 
And he said, when you have your paddle with you, and with the paddle you were to dig a hole for the obvious reasons, and when you were through, you paddle, you covered it up as to prevent uncleanness in the camp. In other words, you weren't to be nasty. Now, back to Deuteronomy 24, across the page there. Maybe when he says he finds some uncleanness in her, it was just... There was one school of interpretation amongst the Hebrew rabbis that said you could, you could put away your wife for most any reason you want to. If she no longer has any favor in your eyes, you got no feelings for her, you ought to get rid of her. She burned a toast, she gained a little weight, doesn't look as good as she used to. Or maybe she's just not very clean. Maybe the way she does things is just walks around the house, maybe in his side, just a little too, uh, you know, I, I, that don't look good. And, and so he just gets rid of her. I don't, it doesn't say exactly what she does. He finds some uncleanness in her, and he gets rid of her. But he has to write her a bill of divorcement. He wrote out, I, so-and-so, so-and-so, do hereby release my wife from this marriage. She is no longer my wife. She is free from my house. And now she goes. Now, she was free because she was no longer his wife to go marry somebody else. Now, a lot of Christians use this to justify a second, third, or on-and-on marriage. I mean, they appeal to Deuteronomy 20, 24, for all this. Now let me tell you what Jesus said about it. Keep your finger there and go to Matthew 19. Matthew chapter 19. Because this is what Jesus is referring to, obviously, also in Matthew 19. This is what he says. Let me start in verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? They wanted him to commit himself. To take a, take a choice or take a side. And he answered and said unto them, What we ought to say to them, Have you read what God says? What does the Bible say? In the beginning, He that made them, made them male and female. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, but Adam and Eve, male and female. And He said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no longer two, but they are one. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. It is not the right of man on this earth, made in the image of God, to by an act of his whatever, terminate what God has joined together. Don't do that. Like the disciples said to Paul, it's better not to marry then. Well, and he said in this, in this chapter, some people probably shouldn't. Verse 7, so they said unto them, then why did Moses command us to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He said unto him, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered or allowed you to put away your wives, but... Now, you can't make the Bible say something besides this either. But from the beginning, it was not so. What The beginning of what? Well, go, you have to go back to verse 4 and 5. When he made them male and female, and he joined them together, and let not man have put asunder what God has joined together. Using that, he says, from the beginning, it was not so. What was not so? Divorce. God didn't make provisions for that. That's not what He said. 
He hates that. People don't like this, and the church doesn't like to hear this, but I'm just saying, this is what God said. This is what Jesus said. And He said in verse 9, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put his put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, also commits adultery. Now let me say something about that, because we'll say something more about it. What did Moses tell the people they could do? If you were married, whatever procedure you went by, ever how you married, but in the eyes of God you were married in the Old Covenant, you could put away your wife. A provision, a concession was made by Moses in a marriage situation to terminate your marriage if you, the putter awayer, found some uncleanness or some... She no longer had favor in your eyes. Now, if Moses made that concession, does Jesus make the same concession? All right, now wait a minute now. now. Before you say no, I agree with you, but let me say this. Then why do people then say when they ask Jesus here in Matthew 19, well, why did Moses allow us to terminate our marriage and give a writing of divorce? Why did he do that? Jesus said, because your hearts are hard. Your hearts are so hard that God would have had to judge the whole nation for many years. Or you might have had your wife killed. You're so hard-hearted. But he allowed you to do this. All through the years. All through these years, you all did that and you thought it was all right. You didn't really know what love your wife was because you never committed to her. She was something you used for your value and entertainment and pleasure. But, you know, if she found no favor in your eyes, get you another one. You could do that. Until Jesus comes on, he says, you know, just like he said, if you look at a woman wrong, you lusted after her. If you're angry with your brother, you murdered him. Whoa, he said, let me tell you something else. Moses allowed you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Now, that's been my stand. Uh, how do you spell unpopular? That's been my particular stand all these years, and for, and for me... It settles for me all these scenarios, and I've, I've heard, I think, all of them. Maybe I haven't heard them all. All these people that come to me, well, what's, can I convince you? And, and I think, you know, there's only one way that I know that you can marry a second time. That's Romans 7, 3, if your husband dies or your wife dies. You're free to marry. If you're married to a divorced person, that's an unlawful marriage. You can get out of that. If you've never been married before, then you can marry again. I mean, we talk about lawful and unlawful. That there are lots of reasons why people get in trouble. Lots of reasons why people get out of trouble. But if you're married to somebody that has a living husband or a wife, then you're married to another man, another woman's wife or husband. You need to get out of that. That's not a lawful marriage. It's called, well, but we have kids. Well, they did in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. You know what, you know what Ezra told them? said, get rid of your wives and your children. You're not allowed to do that. That's what he told me in Ezra. But anyway, I'm jumping ahead of myself here. But let me, let me go on to say this about Matthew 19. If 
Jesus is saying, Moses allowed you to do this because your hearts are hard. But I don't give you that concession. He said, from the beginning, from the beginning it wasn't so. That's just the way it is. Now, that other verse in the next verse, what about the verse about except to be for fornication? Isn't that a license in the New Testament to get out of a marriage and into another one? Well, then, if it is, then Jesus is saying the same thing that Moses said. There's a reason you can get out of a, out of a marriage and marry somebody else. And so he's saying the same thing Moses said. Moses used the word uncleanness. Jesus used the word fornication. If Jesus was translating or telling us what Moses said, then uncleanness is not a reason for a remarriage because he said so here. From the beginning, it wasn't so. Moses gave you that, but I don't. God doesn't. This is a different time. The church is to be like the bride of Christ, holy and pure. Anything that's not right with God, we get rid of. We get out of our lives. We, we deal with it. If a man does not want to live on God's terms, then it's like he said in verse 10. Follow me from verse 10. His disciples said unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, then it's not good to marry. I've been trying to tell all the young people here that for a long time. I mean, if you're married once, and you're married. I mean, you're married. You're in it for the long haul. These guys knew what he was talking about. They knew how easy it was and how getting another wife. They said, well, then, whoa, maybe it's good then not to, uh, not to marry at all. You know what Jesus said in the next verse? It is so true today, even as it was in. And I say to you, he said it in verse uh, 11, All men cannot receive this saying, but they to whom it is given. Let me ask you all a question. I want you to think now. I don't want you to just think about it. Then who's he talking to here? Can everybody receive this? This talk about from the beginning it wasn't so and all. Can everybody receive that? Who will? Who will receive it then? The church won't. I mean, you talk about the mass of people calling themselves Christians in churches around the world. Half of them get divorced. So I know that at least half of those don't believe this. They can't receive it. You make them mad if you say it, as though you wrote it. Or your friends don't like for you to have this position because it means that in your eyes, they're wrong. And I tell them, I'm not your judge. I'm not anybody's judge. I'm responsible to say what I believe the Bible says. And woe is me if I don't. And woe are you if what you're hearing is not what God says and you make an eternal Terrible, tragic mistake yourself. Amen. I just believe you're safer in all you're believing and all you're doing. I think you're safer just staying married. And if you're no longer married, stay unmarried. You can bypass all the what ifs and why can't. See, the problem goes back to lust. A young lady years ago, when she realized she and her husband weren't going to stay married very long, they were young. She said, I'm not going to live all my life single because the implications of that statement is 
that I want the pleasure of being in bed with a man. I want the pleasure of being married, of being loved and having a companion. I want the pleasure of going places together and living happily ever after, riding white horses over the sunset into eternity. And she said, I'm not going to give up all of that because he's going to leave me or I'm going to leave him. No, I ain't going to do that. It's, it's about like saying this, you know, I don't care what God said. God is not big enough to fill this particular void. Because I want romance. I want fun. I want to engage, you know. And I'm not going to give all of that up for this. Maybe when I'm 80, I will. Or 82 or 3. 4. But there's just a whole bunch of people that are exposing the fact that Jesus Christ is not Lord of all their life. He is not sufficient in your life to meet all your needs. He doesn't meet that one because you've already determined you're going to meet it yourself. I'm telling you something. Wickedness, you're seeing it. The world is full of it right now. I mean, meanness and honoriness and thieving and lying and stealing and cheating. The world's full of it. And when it comes down to a place where in the church or two Christians begin to conclude that I don't care what the Bible says, I'm not going to stay in this marriage and I'm not going to give up all of my youth and be single and alone the rest of my life because you've done found you another man or woman and you want out. But there are people who can receive this. I hope you're one of them. I hope you're one of them. There are people who can receive what Jesus said. And if he said, remain as you are, then they'll say, then I shall remain as I am. Just like when you, a woman submits herself to her husband, not because he deserves it, or not because he earns it, though that happens way too much. She submits herself to her husband because she submits herself to the Lord first. And it's because of her relationship with God, that she loves her husband in identifying with what God said, to love your, submit yourself to your own husband as unto the Lord. So he gets far better than he deserved because of her commitment to Christ. Not all can receive that. There's so many childish, juvenile people today. They're, they're little brats. They're little social brats. They've heard so much about my name is Jimmy. Give me, I want mine. I want it now. And I, there's so much of that going on in the world today that when God speaks something they don't like, they just fold their arms and go on. And God has to judge that. And how tragic it is when judgment comes. Adultery is not a light thing with God. We've already looked at that. It's not a light thing with the Lord to do that. So... Back in Deuteronomy 24, and then we'll go to Matthew 19, just if you'll keep your finger there. Deuteronomy 24 is not about adultery. How many of you know there were laws to deal with adultery before marriage or after marriage? If uncleanness here was meant to be adultery, then the, the, the penalty for adultery, Deuteronomy 22, was stoning. You stoned them. And after marriage, if a man accuses his wife of not being a virgin, and Deuteronomy 22 goes on to say that he has taken a wife, and he goes into her, and then he hates her. And he accuses her of not being a virgin. 
And he publicly testifies, this this woman here has had another man in her life. She's not a virgin. Well, how would they know? It's because the token is a thing called the token of her virginity was a little cloth that they laid on the first night. And if there was no evidence of bleeding or blood of some sort to, to describe and reveal what happened, then he could accuse her of not being a virgin. And if she was not, they would stone her. We wouldn't have many young ladies left in America today if we did that today. I mean, we're just so divorced from the truth of God. Churches are just full of opinions. People are acting insensible and going wrong, and we're in the pulpit saying, well, you know, every man's got to do what he believes he ought to do. I'm nobody's judge. And they're losing everything that is dear and near to God, and God has to judge the whole thing. And he will. But somebody's going to receive this. Did you hear what I said? Somebody is going to receive it. Jesus said, not all men can receive this say. Just like speaking of eunuchs. There are men who are eunuchs by birth. They're not capable of making children or being a, father, a husband or a, a dad. There are those that have been made eunuchs by those who captured them. They often captured countries and they made eunuchs out of some of the men who kept the king's harem because he was never going to violate any of, their, any of those women. And then there were those who made themselves eunuchs. They just said, you know, like Paul, I'm, I'm just committed in this life. I, I don't have time for a wife and all the things that are, I must devote myself to in being a husband. And I, I'm given fully to what I'm doing. I travel way too much to be a good husband. Now, I don't have time for that. And, and so I made myself a eunuch in the sense that he's not married and wasn't going to. Kept himself single. Back to Matthew 19. What then does it mean in Matthew 19 about this so-called exception clause? Matthew 19 and verse 9, except it be for fornication. Now the argument and the debate rages and rages and rages. Fornication is a broad word. Adultery is a narrow word. Adultery, generally speaking, confines itself to to unlawful sex between Two married people not married to each other, or at least one of the two is married. But fornication can cover most anything unclean or lewd. Pornography would be a, a form of fornication. It's uh, pornea is a word from which we get fornication. And uh, again, I don't like to use the word, don't like to keep using it, but it's in the Bible. They that are fornicators will not see their place in the kingdom of God. You won't make it. And it's a word which simply has to do with a lot of wrong sexual sins and lewdness and uncleanness. So in Matthew 19, 9, he says, But I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, or except it be for fornication. Now, that would make it mean this. The way most people... Maybe most of you would interpret it. Now, I am not free to marry another woman or another man unless the one that I am married to has had an affair or has been caught 
and some lewd behavior or is homosexual. She or he or the wife comes home one day and there's her husband. I, I know one case where this happened. She comes home unexpectedly one day and her husband is in bed with another man. She came to me and what should I do? I'm thinking I'm much too young to deal with this. I know what I would want to do. Couldn't find any ammo, but I mean, you. no, seriously, she said, what, what should I do? You know what the hard answer is? The one that everybody else in the church would say, come on. I said, did you marry him? Did you commit yourself to him? Yes. Then stay married to him. If he wants to leave, you can't keep him from it. If you don't want him in the house with him, carrying on, then you must ask him to leave. I don't think being married means you have to be abused and just say, oh boy, I'm abused. I got beat again last night. Look how black my eye is this morning. I don't, I don't think you have to put up with that. If he be pleased to stay with you, then let him stay. And if you're not pleased for him to stay, then let, he can leave. That doesn't give you a license to marry again because you committed yourself with an oath to his well-being. He doesn't even want it. But if you're the Christian... You're the one that the Bible says is the reason your children are sanctified. Even this man who acts like that is even sanctified by you. Because you made a commitment to God to be his wife on God's terms. It's not working out well at all. Look at what he's doing. Look where he's going. Look who's, or he comes home one day and she's got another woman with her. Turn it around. A preacher I knew committed suicide and they found him in a way that was just absolutely shameful. Dead. Hanged himself. But he didn't mean to. And I, I think of how tragic. All the time we had to go to church and read and study and think. And try to gain an understanding of what the Bible says. How tragic it is. That we just dread hearing something that doesn't fit into our plans. I think in the last days, that's one of the signs of the last days. Isn't there a verse in 2 Timothy somewhere about ears itching? Isn't there something like that? They will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside unto fables. Fables are man's tales, man's description, man's version. That's the last days. It's like they said to the prophet, don't talk to us about the Holy One. Quit talking about God. It bothers us. Prophesy smooth things to us. Can't you think of anything else? Can't you prophesy? Something? Give me a smooth sermon. Prophesy illusions. Make it up. It doesn't have to be true. We inherently know that a lot of things we're hearing isn't true. But, you know, we appreciate the time you took to say it. And, yeah, you might be. Who knows? That's, that's a good sermon. Good. Yeah, yeah. But when you begin to preach in season and out of season, and the word becomes like a, like a two-edged sword, what does it do? What did, how did he describe this two-edged sword? It divides asunder. His words, the two-edged sword that divides asunder between what is flesh and what is spirit. 
It is easy to receive the flesh. It is difficult to receive what the Spirit says because we by nature will take the easy way out of anything. And yet when you come to the Lord, He never makes the way easy for any of us. Somebody out there will. Somebody will alter these things and make it easy. But God won't. From the beginning, He said it was not so. Then how did this verse become to mean that if you are married to somebody in Matthew 19, 9, and they commit adultery or have an affair or you whatever, then it's a license or it's, it's a concession made to you so that you may terminate your marriage with this person and get out of it because you're the innocent party. You didn't do this, they did. And after all, God gives you the freedom in verse 9 to do that. If you're the innocent party, they committed fornication, then you can get out of the marriage. Now, who started that? If from the beginning it wasn't so, then how did it get here? Let me just give you a bits and pieces story. There was a man born in 1466. His name was Erasmus. Maybe you've heard the name somewhere in history. Erasmus. And uh, he was born in Rottingham. He was born the illegitimate son of a priest. <laughs> he grew up a very studious young, young man, he, and, and he studied a lot and was a likable young, young man. He went to seminary, became a monk, and fell in love with a fellow monk. And uh, he, he liked monks, and uh, he liked a monk. He did not, uh, there's not a whole lot more said about it, but it was widely known that uh, he had this problem. But as he grew up, people tend to let all of that ride because he was such an easy person to read of, read after. And he wrote a lot of things and said a lot of things. Erasmus became a humanist, and he became what we would call today a liberal. He began to study the Bible, the Scriptures. Being in seminary, he would. And he began to get for himself all the manuscripts that he could find in order to translate all of this into a Greek and Latin New Testament. And he gathered what he could. I think he found seven originals or seven manuscripts, and three of them were in the Gospels. And in one of these Gospels, in Matthew's Gospel, it is said by men much more scholarly than I am that Erasmus added a word in Matthew 19 and verse, and verse 9 because it should have said, and if he, like the Latin Vulgate says, so this is the Latin version, it says, And I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, such as for fornication, and shall marry another committeth adultery, or it was their way of saying in the, in the beginning, and whosoever shall put away his wife, even if for fornication, the one that everybody thinks is okay, even if for that you put her away, you commit adultery. You cause her to commit adultery too, because chances are she'll marry. Now, being not a Greek scholar, I can't make it say that, but these guys can, the ones that I have read after. And they say that there's two little bitty, two words, two-letter words, Two two letter words for except it be or except. And if you take one of those two words out, which they say was added by this man, then it would it would say this that if you put away your wife, 
even if for fornication. In other words, that concession that Moses made for uncleanness, Jesus doesn't make a similar concession to us. Otherwise, the hardness of heart doesn't make sense. Jesus said the concession was made back in the Old Testament because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning, it wasn't so. And if you put away your wife, even if for fornication, and you marry another, then it's adultery. Now, this is why the disciples came to him and they said, Well, wait a minute. Man, it's better than not even to marry. That's, that'd be tough. And Jesus said, Not all men can receive it. And they still can't. They still want to fight over that. I've had people one or two times in my tenure here and all the churches I pastored. It's only happened here. But... Uh, because I wouldn't consent to their third or fourth marriage, they left. I remember a guy stopped me one, one time. I was down at the tire place. I was going to get some tires rotated or something down at the big O. And he found me down there and was pulling there beside me. He said, I got to talk to you. I have got to talk to you. I said, all right. He said, I want to know if my marriage is wrong. I think it was his third or his fourth marriage. I want to know if my marriage is wrong. Now, being the, the diplomatic person that I am, trying to use a little diplomacy, I said, well, you know, now you got to, and he finally, after a little bit of that, yummy yawn around, he said, just tell me what you think. About like that. And I said, all right. I said, no, I don't think your marriage is right at all. <laughs> now, he was offended. Well, well, well. What am I supposed to say? Well, yes. He said, I want to know what you think. I said, all right, I don't think it is. The one you're living with now is not your, not your wife. The second one wasn't your wife. The first one was. Yeah, but she and I, whatever she did, she was your wife. The wife of your youth, Malachi said. No, I do not believe in what you have done, that it's right. No. Well, then I'll leave the church. I said, that's your business. That's between you and your will, and God. Whatever you want to do, that's fine with you. But I'm not going to be intimidated, coerced, or threatened to change my position because somebody might leave. What if all of you left? And I'd be free again, wouldn't I? I wouldn't have to do this anymore. <laughs> but I'm not trying to get anybody to leave. I just know that I want to say the truth and say what God said about it as the truth. Because I think the word fornication, the word there, while it's a valid word to be used, and sometimes it's used as, a, as adultery, and it could include adultery. And people say, well, you did this, and put them away. Well, I say, wait a minute, what about forgiveness? Do you think that you're, you're excused to put away a woman or a man because they did something wrong and they come back and say, look, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? You think you have a right to say, I ain't forgiving you. You messed up. I'm going to get me another one. Your heart is as hard as they were in the days of Moses. You don't have that luxury. None of us do. If she ran around and did this or you ran around and did that and you want out and she wants out, they want out. Do what you want to do with it. God will hold you to it, but... I mean, to what decision that you made. But the one that started all of this in church history, it was Erasmus. 
the anti-Nicene fathers, the, the, the fathers before the Nicaea, Nicene period, the, the Catholic period, 325, the period of the church before that, the post-apostolic age with the church fathers, none of them agreed to divorce and remarriage. If they were, I haven't found them yet. None of them agreed with that. All through, uh, in this time, there was no such thing until the 14th, to the Reformation. And here came Erasmus. He was the first one to come up with the innocent party clause. And he was the first one to publicly print that if a woman or a divorce is allowable, if one of the two parties has committed not just adultery, but another word that they used was, if she has disgrace. Here's what he said. His Latin translation was different from the Latin Vulgate in that it included the exception clause and broadened the exception from fornication to disgrace. So this man with his background is saying to the church, and he didn't know how many hundreds of thousands of marriages he was going to affect for the next 500 years, or maybe millions of marriages, are going to take his word as God's word. And he was the one that came up with the exception clause, the innocent party. And you are free to divorce if you've been wrong. Now, let me ask you a question. Concerning the innocent party. Now, if my wife had an affair, and I did not have an affair, in a technical sense, I'm innocent of affairs. But now, what if I in some way contributed to her doing that? Let me ask you all a question. Can a man live in such a way with a woman that he just turns her completely off? That he doesn't have time for the marital bed or tenderness when she, she wants to, to do that because he's working on his job or working on this or he's just not interested in that. He comes home late and sets up late and, 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 and doesn't spend time with his wife. And let's say she's watching a lot of romantic movies reading that romantic junk and gets all inspired by that. And, and one day at the uh, down to grocery store, she runs into an old, an old boyfriend of 20 years ago. Well, hello, bud. Well, hello, uh, uh, Eve. How are you doing? I haven't seen you in a long, long time. And he says, boy, you're looking good. And she said, ain't nobody talked to me like that since I've been married. Say some more stuff. And she doesn't say that. Boy, how have you kept yourself so trim? You felt, your husband is one lucky man. Here's her opportunity. Uh, he's not so much. What do you mean he's not so much? Well, I can't really talk about it. Now, she wants to. Women do this. They want to talk. They just want you to discover. <laughs> they want you to discover what they're trying to say so they can unload it all. And she said, you don't know so much. Well, all right, I don't. I know that. <laughs> so she gives another hint. Well, you know, uh, he just works a lot. And he says, now surely he's spending quality time with you. Now she discovered, oh, I wish. Well, you poor thing. Well, you know, you got to say, what do you think? Well, I'll be. Talk like that. Next thing you know, well, uh, man, that's, I'm sorry to hear about that. Uh, you come in here very much? 
I'll be here tomorrow if you're going to be here. I mean, I, I'll come in here quite, yeah. So they hook up. Let me ask you all a question. Is her husband really innocent of what she did, or was he in some way a party to it? I don't, you don't, don't answer me. Because in the legalist sense, we can say, I didn't do it, and it wasn't my fault. She can say, she can do the same thing to him. He can tell, he can tell his buddies, man, I have married an iceberg. I have married a woman that, you know, if we first got married, well, we'll get over this. I mean, it's, you know, but come to realize that she's not interested at all in what he's interested in. That she doesn't want to be intimate with him like he wants her to be intimate with him. And that she tells her friend, I just can't stand it. So she, you know, he runs into an old girlfriend. Well, hello, Eva. How are you doing? I haven't seen you in a long time. Well, how are you doing, uh, Adam? No, I can't say Adam. We got an Adam here. <laughs> how are you doing, Big Mo? Big Mo said, well, I'm doing, doing good. Well, are, are you married? I, I think I am. She said, you think you are? What are you talking about? You think you are. You got a ring on your finger? You know... I guess I am married. Well, said, you don't sound very happy. No, I don't guess I am. But, you know, my wife, it just not turned out the way I thought it would. Well, what's wrong? Now, she wants him to tell. And she'll listen. He'll spill his beans, too. Because men like to be discovered, too. So he begins talking about his marriage. Hers is not so good, so she starts to listen. Next thing you know, they're having an affair. Do you suppose that his wife was innocent of his reasons for having an affair. He wanted, to, he, he wanted to be loved. He wanted to experience love. They married. That's one of the major points in love, in marriage. You think about that before you marry. Now, the innocent party here, when you talk about innocence, and I've heard people come, well, I didn't. He did. Let me tell you all the things that he did. And I think, well, did you do anything to, 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 to counter that? Did you ever come and talk to him and say, look, I have this problem. The physical problem between, I'm having a problem. Did you ever do that? Did you ever talk to him so you could sit down and work it out and then he can feel like he's involved in helping you get... No. You just turned him off, made excuses, had a headache every night. Didn't feel good. Time after time. Anything to keep this from happening. Well, when you go to talking about the innocent party you got to realize that some women may act that way just so he will have an affair. And when he does have an affair, I'm done with you, buddy. That's wickedness. It is wicked. There's so many scenarios about this. So many ways of looking. So many people have their justified reasons for doing what they do. All I can say to us tonight in closing is that... God wants us to know as, as, as Christian people that He gave us the freedom to marry. One man, one woman for life. If you're young in here tonight and you've never been married, I would suggest that when you think it looks like something may be going on here, that you start praying that God will not let you marry somebody you regret later on that you've married because in the eyes of God, you're married. And I do believe this, 
that if you would make it a point of prayer before you marry, that God would do just that, would make you to know beyond any doubts that the one you're about to marry is the one God has for you. I don't believe you get the wrong one. I don't believe you get the wrong one. But because he's cute or she was cute and you marry because, wow, look at her. What a body. When you marry for reasons like that, you don't work out your problems. And if you're sitting as a dud in some church somewhere learning nothing, you don't work your problems out. You don't know you have to because all your friends tell you what to do. They just tell you what to do. Or some preacher that's been married twice himself tells you what to do. I lost one of my very best friends before I moved here. Back in the late 70s, one of my very best friends, a pastor of our church. He was going to marry a girl that I grew up with after having preached one Sunday that he could never remarry. He met this girl and she had been divorced and they decided they were going to marry. I had a dream one night. This is back when I did those things. I had a dream one night that he was wrong. It's like a dream which God said, go tell him that he's wrong. And I did. And I was the point of his sermon for about three weeks in a row. That was when I quit. That was when I told him. I said, I'm going to leave, John. There's no reason for me to stay here. And people look at me every time you say something. And I said, I'm getting out of your way. This is your church. God sent you here. And I'm, I'm going to leave. And that was really how I got out of the nest in Charlestown and wound up the first time in Shelbyville. Tried to get out of here because I didn't want to be a pastor. And uh, I came back and now I, now I are one. It's amazing as you look back over 40 years of Christian living how God has directed the whole play, the whole thing, the way He has always been there, this and this, and stands redu- reduced you to this, but He had in mind bringing you here, and He does. I think it goes back to one thing. Do you have a heart for God? Do you have a heart to live on His terms at the expense of losing all your friends? Though none go with me, still I will follow. Trust me, there's plenty more to say about this, but this is enough on this subject. We can't spend the rest of our lives talking about marriage and divorce and remarriage. Or second marriage. But we can examine our own selves. I heard a sermon on that once. Examine ourselves to see where we stand. Is it scriptural? Is it in harmony with God's word? And if it is, am I living it? The choice is yours. Amen. Bow your head with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we all here tonight, all of us, those who listen electronically and however, I pray that we all are found by you to have a heart after your word, to be willing to see things your way, to say what you say and do what you tell us. I do not believe there's anybody in this room that is bad and determined to be sinful But I do believe we need to make a stand, all of us. Not because another person did, but because we believe it ourselves. I pray that nobody, as I've said before, nobody will believe what I've said tonight because I said it. For I'm nothing more than a messenger. 
but that we all with responsible hearts will search the Scriptures to see if these things are true. And if they are, we will subscribe to it and believe it because you said it, not because the preacher said it. Now, having said that, Lord, I ask you to bless us all with good hearts and good understanding. You bless us as we go forth from this place. And we give you the credit and the praise for all the goodness you bring into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.